0: I stand here today humbled. Um, as I said, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. And the only qualification I have, I have, is a, is a broken heart. God has broken my heart for the widows and the orphans, the destitute and the poor. I love this church, and I want to thank George for the amazing things that they've done for us, how they've honored us and covered us in prayer, how they've supported us in times of trouble, and I pray, unless God moves me on, that I'll continue to be a member here while they, as the leadership, preach the unadulterated, uncompromised Word of God. It's only this Word that's going to transform lives, and I even thought this morning that they've said such a trend, the way they dress these days, the leadership, with the pointed shoes and the tight pants and, and I, I wondered what... I, my dad always said to me, he said, if you, if you can't play sport, you can't play cricket, you can always look like a cricketer. So I thought maybe I should dress like that. But I thought, no, maybe not pretend. But I just have come here to share my heart with you to paint a picture of what that looks like for these children, Um, to encourage people that we've found the solution. Um, As I went to United Nations a couple of weeks ago, and I thank you for your prayers for that, the most difficult thing I've had to do in my life, where I had to see people, presidents of countries, and people that are lifted up and revered, and these people are supposed to have the answers to the world, and I look around the world, and it's a complete mess. And I wanted to shout from those rafters, I said, his name is Jesus. There is only one answer to this dark and dying world and his name is Jesus. I've never been more convicted or convinced since going to that place. And, and, and it was a privilege and all those things, but there is one answer and his name is Jesus Christ. And, and his plan, he only has one plan and that is the local church. But the only problem with his plan is that you and me of the church and he's waiting patiently for us to hear his heartbeat for the widow, the orphan, the destitute and the poor. And, and the last seven or eight years has been the greatest privilege of our lives, even longer since 2001 as Derek came up and we worked with Derek in the communities and God started to break our hearts for the things that break his. And in 1997, I cried out to him as he had rescued me from the pit of hell, he had restored my life and things had got back to normal, I cried out to him one day and said, surely there's got to be more to life than this. And as I prepared for that, and as I think about it, how profound it was, he said to me, build a village for the orphan children that they would come to know him, a father that loves them in heaven that they would come to know they have a father that loves them in heaven. He went on, say, create jobs for rural communities that they can sustain their families, and the government will come and see why it works, and we can point them to the cross. But that first statement, build a village where the children will come to know me as their father. And as I think about that, and as I travel the world, he never said to me, build a school or a university or this or that. He said, build a village that they would come to know who that they have a Father in heaven that loves them. Friends, it is only in Christ Jesus that we can have foundations and walk into the fullness that our Father in heaven had for each one of us. And the other thing, schools and that, are just tools that he gives us. But unless these children come to know that they have a Father in heaven that loves them, they will never have the foundations on which to walk into the destiny that God has for their lives. And that's why this morning, as I see these precious children worshiping, they have come to that place where they know they have a Father in heaven that loves them. They have strong foundations. They know who they are in Christ Jesus. They have foundations, and he's now going to release them out into the world, into universities, into the UK, to to Tim Hughes and other places, where they're going to impact nations because because only they know who they are in Christ Jesus. Friends, there are 150 million orphan children in the world. It's a problem that is too big for anybody to try and, 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 and um, resolve. But I truly believe that God has given us this vision. And the village is one of the answers to this massive problem that we face in the world today. As I said to George this morning... Friends, we don't have a violence issue or a violence problem in South Africa, we, we have a father problem in South Africa. We don't have um, these problems that we're trying to identify. I truly believe it stems to the breakup of the family all over the world. They're vulnerable and orphaned children who are getting trafficked into sex slavery and slavery and into drugs and to everything else because of the breakup of the family. And we, as a country, during the apartheid era, put families families into homelands and took out the father figure by creating jobs in the city and the family disintegrated. The very fabric of society, God's fabric of society, the family unit with Jesus Christ in the center, disintegrated when the father figure was taken out of this nation. And so we are left with a familyless generation now, not a fatherless generation. And I get so tired when I hear some of the people in the, in, in the country say, They've been in charge for 24 years. They've got to get on with it. They've got to do things. Friends, it's going to take generations for us to restore the family unit. That we would raise up fathers that would stand in the gap for these children who'd no longer have fathers. 150 million orphan children. Friends, I believe, as I said, that God is going to raise up these children to impact nations, and the revival is going to start through these orphan children who he raises up to become leaders that will change the nations. What is the, 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 the solution? The solution is Jesus Christ. We know the solution. What is his plan? His plan is the local church. He's waiting for us to hear his heartbeat. Do you know that... I believe that the, 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 the problem seems too big for the world to comprehend, but the plan that God has, there are 150 million orphan children in the world. Do you know if every single church in the world adopted one child, not every family, every church adopted one child, there wouldn't be an orphan or vulnerable child in the world. I I was in London a couple of years back and I met with a fund called Empower. Empower is a big equity fund where um, corporates give money to this fund and they invest it and then they support orphanages, they support clinics, they look after the aged around the world. And I walked into this boardroom and the CEO, Nick, a Greek guy, he said to me as we sat down, he said, Titch, I want to tell you from the outset that we're not going to support you because of your Christian stance. And I said with a smile on my face, I said, Nick, please don't worry, my provider has got more than the Empower Fund has got. <laughs> and and, and it, it, it broke the ice, and we went on to have a meeting for one and a half hours, an amazing meeting, and he said to me, I'm intrigued by the live model, because not only looking after orphan and vulnerable children, but you're creating jobs and trying to make it sustainable. But he said, I've worked with orphanages and institutions for 20 years, everywhere in the world, and there's not one orphanage that has been successful. He, t- he said, tell me why you think Love is gonna be successful. And I said to him, Nick, I don't want to offend you, but I said the only reason why Love is gonna be successful is that these children are being transformed by the love of Jesus? That these children are being changed and transformed by the Spirit of God, and for no other reason will live be successful. It's nothing that we have done. We cannot do anything. He says, Bring these children to the foot of the cross and even get out the way because you're going to mess it up and allow the Holy Spirit to transform these children's lives. And I said, That's the reason live is going to be successful. And then he said an incredible thing to me which has, it's embedded in my heart, and I trust and pray that it will be a challenge for you as well. He said to me, Titch, I'm not offended in any way whatsoever. But he said, I want you to document the next five years as these children start to leave school. And these precious children you saw today are those children that have, that have pioneered on behalf of other children around the world. He said, I want you to document their progress over the next five years because he said, if you've got the answer, the world is desperate for this answer. And as he said that, I felt God say, Teach, the world is desperate for me. They just don't know what they're desperate for. And I'm going to show them through these orphan and vulnerable children whom I'm going to raise up to become leaders in the nations. These children, the world has turned their back on. And sadly to say, the churches also turned their back on them because it is such a massive problem. If you've got the answer, the world is desperate for this answer. Friends, the world is desperate for Jesus. They don't know what they're desperate for, but they're desperate for Jesus. It's a time the church stood up. The fathers in the church stood up and took up their rightful places in the homes in the businesses and in the churches that we would become and will become the church that jesus christ prayed we would become john if we can turn to john 14 15 to 21 and i'll just read it to you hopefully it's on the board if you if you love me obey my commandments And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you, soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. If you love me, you will obey me." Can we just put that scripture we all know so well, James 1.27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father. Means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Friends, if we truly love Jesus, we will keep his commands. And then he goes on to say pure religion acceptable to him is to look after the widow and orphan and not allow ourselves to be corrupted by the world. It's time for us to become hands and feet of Jesus. And go into the communities and share the love of Jesus with those that do not know him. As I look back on my life, I've experienced many highs and lows. In my early days as a, as a, a child, and a, I was brought up in the most loving, caring family in the world. I had a mother and a father that loved me. That lavished their love on me. My brother and my sister, the elder brother Guy and a younger sister Sue. And it was a home in which we were, we were loved and cared for and nurtured. And it was a perfect place for us to thrive and walk into what God had destined us to be. There was only one problem in our home. We didn't have much money, but that doesn't matter. The material things of the world were never important in our lives. Love was there. But we didn't have Jesus in our home. Um. As I look back and, and, and realize that uh, the foundations that I had was exactly what God wants us today as a family, a father and a mother who loved us. And at 26 years of age, my dad died. He was my hero. He was the rock in my life. He was my everything. He loved me unconditionally. He was never hard on me, never harsh on me. He loved sport and always encouraged me. I remember he didn't have money when I first played for South Africa and we played in Cape Town. He didn't have money to travel down and as I walked on to Newlands ground, I don't know if you know the ground, there the oaks there, and as I walked on we fielded first and there under the oaks was my dad. He had driven down from Cape Town to be at that ground. That's how much he loved me and when he died it was like everything in my life had gone. And my life fell apart. I became rebellious. I, I fell to the things of the world, alcohol and gambling, womanizing, cheating on my wife. We got, mar- uh, we got divorced, deserted my children, and I ended up in a home for alcoholics and drug addicts. But it was just before I went into that home. I went to see Peter Pollock, who I'd known through my cricketing days. He had one look at me and he said, "Your life is in such a mess. There's only one thing that'll ever sort you out, and his name is Jesus." And I gave my life to Jesus, hoping that he would wave a magic wand and that everything would be okay. It didn't happen like that, and and um. I came out of that home and got divorced, and I ran away from my debt, and ran away from my situations, and in fact contemplated suicide, but I didn't have the courage to jump off a building. And then one day I came to my senses. I walked off a race course in Germiston. We had tried to organize a race, and that didn't materialize. And I walked off that race course. And I heard my father say to me, I have forgiven you. I love you just as you are. I want you to go back to Durban to be closer to your children. I want you to get a job that you can pay back your debts and let people see your life has changed. Friends, that day that I knew that I had a father who had forgiven me as my earthly father would have done, you cannot believe the relief and the weight of my shoulders that prepared me, encouraged me to continue to fight this battle and overcome the situations that I found myself in. It was like the prodigal son had come home as I experienced this lavish love of a father in heaven who loved me just as I was. And as he started to restore my life, he brought my bride into my life. Journey and I got married. And I talk about my bride because we were in America now recently, at, and, and I've always called her Granny. She says to me, I'm not your Granny. But, but the children on the village call her Gogo. It's an endearment, they love her and I love her, so I always call her Granny. She said, I'm not your Granny. And I was with this worship leader at this church. He had taken us to Cape Canaveral and the phone rang, I'll never forget it, and his eyes lit up and he said, It's my bride, it's my bride, and he ran away to talk to his wife. And Joni said to me, I just long for the day that you will call me your bride. And so (laughs) and so God brought my bride into my life. He restored my relationship with my children. Amazing God of reconciliation and restoration. I deserted my children. I wasn't a good father to them. They lived with their mother. But as I came to know my father in heaven, he restored that relationship with my children. I now don't only have those two, but I have four beautiful children We have become eight with eight beautiful grandchildren. That's the blessings of a father. And I had the privilege... He brought my son into my business, and we worked together 24-7 for 10 years. And he's taken over the business as I've gone in to follow what God has called me to do. And I was having lunch with him a year or two back. And he said to me, Dad, I said to him, boy, how have I done as a father? And he said to me, Dad, I'm pleased that we had a second chance. He said, not only are you the best father in the world, but you become my best mate. That's the father that I've got to know now. A father that loves me unconditionally. That's who these children have got to know. A father that loves them unconditionally. A father who's not going to die when they're 26, when my life fell apart. But a father that is going to be there until they go to be with him when they pass on. A rock that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when God said to us, build a village that these children would come to know him as their father, I now realize that it is everything. That's all he wants us to do, is to raise our children up in the ways of God, that they will not deviate from them. And that's why I honor you, mothers and fathers in this place, who have brought your children up in those ways. Because they will not deviate. And it's these children that are going to change the world. The world is desperate for the answer. And the answer is Jesus Christ. Friends, it was that day when he gave me that village. And and, and I think it's appropriate to some people here this morning. I said yes to Jesus when I was desperate for something. I didn't know what I was looking for, but I said yes to Jesus. And then when he said to me, when I cried out to him that day, build a village, I said yes to him again. And it was that day that I laid down my life and started to walk into the fullness that God had always planned for my life. Because the success that I had been chasing is worthless in God's eyes. Sylvester Stallone said, fame and fortune is like a mirage in the desert. You strive all your life to get there, and when you get there, there is nothing. And all I had been chasing all my life, and please don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with success, but it's what we do with that success. He says he'll give people the ability to create wealth. He never said to people he'd give them the ability to create riches. He's a lavish father, and he allows the wealth to flow. I believe there's a big difference between riches and wealth. Riches people dam up, and when you dam things up, if you dam water up, disease and contamination starts to happen. When you allow water to flow, it's healthy, and it's life. And God has said he's given people the ability to create wealth. And I believe as we fathers in the church, we need to let this wealth flow. I realize as rivers get bigger and bigger, that not only does the river become healthier and stronger, but even the banks of the rivers become fertile. Even those that don't know Jesus will start to experience and see an abundant life through fathers who will allow wealth to flow. Friends, the orphan spirit, and I realized that 10 years from the day that my dad died until I came to know my father in heaven, I was, I don't even know what to say, but I was influenced and I was possessed by this orphan spirit. And I believe that many of us are bound by this orphan spirit. This orphan spirit is the biggest curse in the world Today And has caused untold damage as it has permeated society from the very day that Adam and Eve took a bite from the tree, the tree of knowledge, and separated themselves from their father. That spirit has permeated through, throughout the world. And today, there are many people that have been alienated from God, but also from biological fathers. As I said, the apartheid era was one of those things that had caused the collapse of the family unit. Many emotional, physical, and spiritual ills can be traced back to a lack of knowing or having a good relationship with an earthly father, but more importantly, a father that will never, ever leave us or forsake us. Many with the orphan spirit find it difficult to relate to their wives, to treat their wives properly, to relate their children. I ran away from my children. I was ashamed what I had become. Those with the orphan spirit are also frightened of spiritual leaders who have authority over them because they don't want to really reveal where they are at. There are millions of incarcerated men and women around the world who have lived lives of rebellion and violence because they've been deserted and abandoned by earthly fathers. Friends, as I said, We don't have a violent problem in this country. We have a father problem in this country. How do we break this orphan spirit? We need to bring them to the foot of the cross like these children. And I mean, these children minister to me every day. We took them to to the UK for three months, the choir, and the churches in England said they cannot believe that orphans. We don't call them orphans. Once they come to know their father in heaven, they are no longer orphans, but they're part of the family. Of Almighty God and so we don't call it an orphanage as the village will be raised children up in loving nurturing caring families where they come to know they have a father in heaven who loves them these children ministered to those people in England who in the world's eyes have everything but in God's eyes they have nothing and they we still get males so they cannot believe that these children could be filled with the joy of the Lord with where they've come from because your identity is not in what you have done or who you are we as people in the world when the first time we meet somebody is we give them our business card to show them that we see of this company or with this or with this or with this we always try and tell people what we are the only identity of any worth is who we are in christ jesus and these children ministered to that nation because they saw young people that had no earthly fathers but who had come to know who they are in Christ Jesus. And the only way we're going to break this thing that is a curse to the world, the greatest curse to the world, is to bring people to that place where they know they have a Father in heaven that loves them. And I don't know what, what time do we finish here, George? Um, I just quickly wanted to, about quarter past. Um, uh, the orphan spirit, the difference between the orphan spirit and, and, and spirit of sonship. I just want to give you some of those points and then try and find out how you identify that in yourself. And then I want to hand back to the leadership. So an orphan spirit operates out of jealousy and insecurity. The spirit of sonship functions out of love and acceptance. The orphan spirit is jealous of success of a brother where a mature son is committed to the success of their brother's. The orphan spirit is happy when their brothers fail, where the mature son is committed to help his brothers succeed. The orphan spirit serves God to earn the father's love, where a mature son serves out of a sense of divine acceptance and favor of who they are in Christ Jesus. The orphan spirit turns to mediate its deep alienation through physical stimulus, where the mature son walks in joy and presence of the Lord for comfort. The orphan spirit continually tries to push down the alienation, loneliness, and lack of self-worth through constant work, works, going from one relationship to the next, physical gratification, and self-indulgence. The more they indulge, the more they are addicted, and they become. And the hole gets bigger and bigger, and deeper and deeper. And it can only be filled with the love of a father. The mature son basks in the love of the Lord, knowing that His joy is His strength. And he knows that anything built outside of Jesus is built on sinking sand. The orphan spirit is driven by a need to succeed where spirit leads the mature son into their calling or their missions. The orphan spirit uses people as objects to achieve success where mature sons and daughters serve people to bless the kingdom of God. The orphan spirit um, repels children where the spirit of sonship attracts. Children are drawn To fathers. The orphan spirit is filled with rage and anger where the spirit of sonship rests in the father's ability to guide and control the future. The orphan spirit is always in competition with others where the spirit of sonship blesses others. Friends, many of us are in that place where we carry an orphan spirit. And I believe if that we are going to become the church that Jesus prayed we would become and that we would walk into the fullness that God has for us. We need to recognize whether we carry the spirit or not. And one of the reasons we, we don't walk into the fullness is it's a difficulty to believe God can love us just as we are. And I was in that place where I thought I was worthless. Decided I wanted to, to commit suicide rather than face what I had to but then I came to know a Father that loved me as I was. Romans 5.8, we won't go through that, five 8. and And he sent Jesus, John 3.16, for that very thing, that he loved us so much, even though we were in that place. The second, if we have a mindset that thinks we have to work or earn our salvation or sonship. Salvation and sonship is by grace and grace alone. And that's what these children, as George prayed, that's what these children carry today, the grace knowing that they can walk into the fullness of what Jesus has for each one of them. And the last thing we have, uh, is that we will feel ashamed to ask God for things. We will think that we are not worthy to ask him. And if you read 1 Corinthians 2.9 and Matthew 7, nine 11, you'll get that that he says, that we can ask Him and He will bless us with good gifts. Friends, the greatest curse in the world today is the orphan spirit, which has left our nation in the state it has, but not only our nation. Do you know of the last 13 mass murderers in America, and now this latest one in last, for the last 14 mass murderers in America, not one of them had an earthly father? They lived with their mothers or they didn't live with either of their parents. Not one had a father figure in their lives. The greatest gift known to mankind is to be able to accept, receive, and walk into the love of a father, who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that we may not perish or waste this precious life that he has given us, but experience the abundant life that only comes from an intimate relationship with Jesus. So I pray today that we would identify whether we carry that spirit. I also pray that I believe there are people here today that would want to say yes to Jesus for the second time. I spoke to Julian and, 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 and George and, and Richard on During the week, all of them said yes to Jesus a second time. They gave their lives to Jesus, and then sometime down the line, they said yes to him and went into full-time ministry. It's not that you have to go into full-time ministry, but I believe that God is asking, will you lay down your life to serve the King? And I've been inspired by many people. And one of them was a four foot eight, half educated Albanian woman. She was half educated because her father died when she was eight and her mother couldn't afford to to educate her. She became a nun and for 10 years she prayed and asked God what he wanted from her life. 10 years she prayed, never giving up. Every single day she prayed and said, what do you want from my life? And she calls it transformation day in her life on a rail trip to a retreat. This almighty God tapped her on the shoulder and said to her, Mother Teresa, I want you to go to Calcutta and look after the poorest of the poor. I think if I'd heard that, I would have had her confirmation quite a few times. But she was so excited, she then asked the Catholic Church, and she fought with the Catholic Church for 18 months to allow her to go, and they didn't allow her to go. They said, it wasn't safe and you didn't have the money. Eventually, through her persistency, They said she can go, and she went to Calcutta, and we know what she did. That half-educated, four-foot-eight Albanian woman looked after the poor, the widow, the leper, the destitute, and the orphan all her life. American missionary asked her one day, how can you do this all your life? She said, the Bible says, if you do it unto the least of them, you do it unto me. She said, I love Jesus with all my heart. I'll do it until the day I die. Do you know, every single leader of every country, every single of, leader of every religion, every businessman, every sportsman, everybody wants to spend half an hour with a four foot eight Albanian woman, half educated Albanian woman, who laid down her life to serve the king. And she went on to leave a challenge that changed my life. She said, All she wants to be is a little pencil in the hand of Almighty God as he writes a love letter to the world. And I want to ask you today, as members of Harvest Church, will you be that little pencil in the hand of Almighty God as he writes a love letter to the widow, the orphan, the destitute, and the poor of our nation? Will you be that little pencil in his hand and rewrite the storybook of these children who had no hope. Will you be that little pencil in the hand of Almighty God as he writes a love letter to the widow, the orphan, the destitute, and the poor of our nation? Thank you, and God bless you.